0: Now listen, if you've been reading to this book, I hope you have, but what I want you to do is turn right now to your table of contents of your Bible. Because you've, you've, if you've been reading, you've come to a, a very significant shift in our reading. And after reading all the laws, you probably are saying, Amen, it's about time I have some kind of a significant shift. Uh, If you're looking at your table of contents, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the Torah. That is what the Jews call it. Torah means law. When the Jews say the word law, they're thinking of those first five books authored by Moses. Very important to them. Now, this next section that we're starting in today uh, is Joshua and these are called the historical books of the Old Testament. It's not to say that the first 5 were not historical or that the latter aren't historical, but it's this is the, the lots of stories here, lots of narrative, lots of uh, intrigue and battles and all. It's the history of Israel. Now, what I want you to do is look down your Bible to the book of Esther. Do you see Esther? That is the last book of the Old Testament. You might say, well, well, hey, I've got all these other books here. Well, where those books are written is they are written somewhere on this historical timeline. For example, 1st and 2nd Samuel, you got 2nd Samuel, David lives. 2nd Samuel is all about David, King David. Well, many of the Psalms were written by King David, so he had to write them while he was alive, right? So that would be someplace underneath Underneath Samuel, all of the rest of the books are written underneath these, and so when we get done with Esther, the very next historical event that happens is an angel shows up to a gale named mary saying you 're going to have a baby boy named jesus so esther 's the last book of the, of the historical book of the Old Testament. By the way, in your timeline, you see first and Second Chronicles is underneath and you might say well why is it underneath well two reasons one it didn't fit on the top part but that's secondary because the most important reason is it belongs underneath because as you get to, when you get to the chronicles you'll find that he's basically the chronicler has a very unique theological reason for those books we'll talk about that then but he's re, he's picking and choosing certain pieces of Samuel and Kings to put together the book of, of books of Chronicles. So we'll get there then. But what transpired, at the beginning of Joshua, is it's a new day for for the Israelites. It's a defining moment for these guys. They they come to a, a unique place. Defining moments are referred to as those things that you face in life. They're uh, a big whiz bang or not, scheduled or not. But you know that this this is it's a new day. There's a new thing going on here. I, I was 12 years old. I went to camp. Uh, was there for air rifles and archery and canoes and girls. Not so much girls. I was 12. I wasn't there, there. But what happened the last day of camp is the pastor spoke and he shared about how God wants more for you than heaven. One day he might want to use you down here. And I thought this was incredible news. And from that day on, 12 years old, I knew I was going to be a pastor. That's what I was going after. Major life shift. Trajectory of my life radically changed at that. because at that point, when I graduated from 8th grade, stupid, I know, but when I graduated from 8th grade, it was such an existential moment for me. I went to my eighth grade dance, only dance I'd ever been to, embarrassed myself greatly, we won't even talk about that. But I get home, it's like one in the morning, and I'm sitting at my kitchen table, I've got 1976, and I'm holding one of those pictures. Remember when you graduated, they had all the pictures of all the little, all the little pictures of the people who graduated with you? I'm staring at this thing, and it dawns on me, I'm growing up. I'm not a kid anymore. I, I am graduating this is, This is a new day for me, and so it was a, a major life shift, believe it or not, just with, with that. There was the time I went to college. there was the time you got married there was the time the kids came into it, the time I, I got sick and went to a different church and changed positions and those type of, of moments we all have, and what you do at the beginning of that moment is going to direct. The the trajectory of that thing completely. So it's, 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 I believe God brings those things into our life on purpose that we might handle them in the way He would have us to. We're going to see the way you do that with Joshua because the Israelites are going in some major stuff here. I mean, think about it. Have you ever looked forward to a vacation? You look forward to, well, they've been looking forward to getting into the promised land for hundreds of years. And when they're hanging out in Egypt and, and they knew the promise that God made to Abram that there would be a promised land and so they didn't have much else but that's what they had to go on that God one day is going to give us this land and so they're looking forward to it. And they almost got it 40 years earlier, remember? But the parents kind of blew it. and They voted no. And so they hung out in the desert for 40 years. But now they're able to go in. They've got to be incredibly excited. This is it. It's all coming to fruition. Today's the day. And so they're pumped. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua. See, they, they enter into the, the land. And its first few chapters, why don't you put the the map up, Marla? You can see the first time they were going to go into the promised land, remember, they were going to come up from the south. But here they've gone around the the east side of the Jordan. They didn't want to engage in battle with anybody, but some of the people there decided that they didn't like Israel and engaged them, and so Israel soundly defeated them. Moses delivers his messages book of Deuteronomy and Moses dies and they're getting ready to cross the the Jordan River is at flood stage uh actually right now and so in the first few chapters uh Joshua sends spies over to to Jericho they then everyone crosses and the way they crossed it was fascinating the the people brought the ark of the covenant the priests brought the ark of the covenant I think we got a picture on that too just to it's just an artist rendition, but who knows? And and, and as it goes across, does the priest step into the Jordan River? Fascinating story. As they step in, the the Jordan River parts, just like the Red Sea. Some of these people living were little kids at the time, but they saw the Red Sea part, and they remember the 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 plagues that transpired. And what they're seeing here is the exact same God who got us out of Egypt is getting us into the promised land. It's very, very significant what's transpiring here. So that they, they go in and you know they're excited about it and the, the, the warriors are probably sharpening their swords and let's take this land and let's move and let's, let's, let's let this happen. But God says, yeah, we're going to let it happen, but we're going to, Joshua says, put away your swords instead. And sharpen some knives. In chapter 5, verse 2, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. First time is probably when they left Egypt way back when. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel. At Gabiath Haralot, it means hill of foreskins, ah, right? That's not a, but it, 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 so this was a memorable thing to these guys. They even named it, you know, stay away from that place. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males, the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness and told all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were circumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. That would be like three or four days. Um, if you think about this, this is, a, humanly speaking, pretty foolish thing. I mean, wouldn't it not have been, if you wanted to do the whole circumcision thing, would it not have been easier to do it on the other side of the Jordan River? They were safe there. There were no enemies there. They had already conquered them all. But as soon as they crossed, they were trespassing. And the other people were waiting for them, we find out. They were sharpening their spears. And you take the entire fighting force, and now you incapacitate these guys for three or four days, making the whole nation incredibly vulnerable. What in the world is God doing? And why this circumcision thing, again, It always comes up. You know what, that will keep coming up, just to tell you. It keeps coming up all the way through. It's even in the New Testament deal. Genesis seventeen. If you remember this, God, when He's still talking to, to Abraham, He says, "I'm going to make you a great nation, and this is going to be the sign. This is going to be like the the wedding ring. This is going to be the the the, the reminder that we are in a special relationship. This rite of circumcision, and so all of the the the, the household, the males of the household, have been would be circumcised to remind them that in every area of their life even the most personal areas of their life they are are different they are in relationship with god they're they're not like everybody else that they, they are reminded this is like a renewal of, of vows ceremony a rededication of vows kind of thing between the the the, the people and god you would think Right, right. That when you get into something like the promised land, you want to charge into battle, you want to slice up your shoes, you want to go for action. Some of y'all are very action oriented. I, I understand that you just want to go into it, but God says, no, 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 no. The way to success in the promised land, if you want to make it in the promised land, it's not running and start doing stuff and strategizing. No, no. You have to stop and remember who you belong to. Before you start your day running, you stop and you remember who you belong to. That'll make a huge impact on what happens. When you start that new special thing, it's a relationship, it's kids leaving, it's going a new semester at school, it's, it's, it's a job change, whatever it is. when you, If you stop and remember this whole situation, God, by his ark, kind of brought me into this. I'm here by, by his appointment. And I... I'm remembering that I belong to you, Lord. That he wants his people to remember. Very important that they're in relationship with, with him. It says in verse uh, 9, if we f- keep going, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal is kind of like, let's roll. That's the name. I think that's kind of fun. Um, the reproach of Egypt, uh, you can imagine the Egyptians are talking ill about Israel right now. It's like, oh, please, promised land. They're wandering around in the desert for crying out loud. And, and oh, big God brings them in the desert. They're dying like flies out there, I understand. They can't be sustained. and no time at all, they're going to be all gone. You know, they're just, they're, they're dissing God. They're dissing Israel. They're dissing the covenant. And God says, with this renewal of, of vows, this, Remembering who they belong to, God says, nah, it's a new day. That's all gone. That's, you might have been thinking that yourself. It's all gone. That's all gone. Just remember who you belong to. I would drop off my uh, boy for, for school or we would talk or one of my kids would go out, uh, for, hang out with friends, and you, you say every once in a while, remember who you belong to. Remember who you belong to. If, 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 can you imagine how terrible it would be if you forgot that you were married? What kind of mess you could get into? You forgot that you had to go to work. You forgot that your taxes due were, were April 15th. You, you, you forgot your anniversary. You, you know, all those kind of issues you get in trouble for. If you forget, you're in trouble. And God says, this one you can't. You can't afford to forget for a moment. So take time. Take time to remember who you belong to. It goes on. Verse 10. It says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover. You think that, okay, now it's time to get in. Now let's get those swords out. No, 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 we're going to have a party. You're going to have a party? Come on, I'm ready for war. No, no, we're going to party for a while. We didn't even do anything yet. How do we celebrate? While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. You remember, uh, 40 years, a little bit plus, uh, they were hanging out in in, uh, Egypt, God, through Moses, delivered nine plagues to Pharaoh all these bad things. And now it's the the night of the tenth plague. And you know the angel of death is coming and he's going to pass over everybody's home. And the firstborn of everybody's home is going to die. But God says to his people, you can avoid that by sacrificing the lamb and taking some of his blood and wiping it on the doorframe of your house. And if you, you do that, then the angel of death will, will pass over. What God wants... By the way, these guys celebrated that, you know, one year after they left Egypt, of course, at Sinai. Uh, then through the whole wilderness wandering stuff, it kind of got all mixed up. Uh, so they're celebrating it again. And what they're doing is they're remembering... Not just uh, who's they belong to, who, who they belong to. They're remembering who their God is. Because it's important to have faith, but it's it's more important to have the right object of your faith. And we get that mixed up sometimes. Sometimes we think that, that our, our faith is, is, is really the, the thing, it's so much so that as we get into the land, these guys are going to get into Canaan, and they're going to see people with all kinds of faith, some people with very healthy, strong faith. Have you ever met somebody who has faith in something other than what you do, who knows what, but they really have faith? I mean, they believe what they believe much more than you do, and they're kinder, nicer person than most Christians you know. And, and they seem to be more together and are more emotionally balanced and are, 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 are kinder than, than all these other Christian folk. And so that plays with us sometimes. We start saying, well, maybe. Well, God knows that his people are going to come into Canaan and see some people with very healthy faith. problem is their faith is in the wrong object. It, 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 what? I Maybe mean, illustration. This might might help clear up a little bit what I'm saying. Two, it's night of the, the tenth plague. Okay, it's it's it's, it's twilight. The, the angel of death hasn't come yet, but you got two Jewish guys hanging out in their backyard, talking over the fence. You know, Bill and Jack, good Jewish names. And so Bill talks to Jack, and he says, "Hey, Jack, what do you think about if you heard that the angel of death is it's the tenth plague? It's coming tonight. Kind of scary, huh? Wow, I don't know." and jack says oh my goodness i'm scared to death i i just don't know what to do i'm i'm freaking out over here because i love my son and i don't want anything bad to happen to him and and, I, and bill says oh jack hang on hang on hang on D- didn't god though tell us that if we sacrifice the, the lamb and we wrap put its blood on the doorframe that the angel of death will pass over and jack says oh yeah yeah that's what he said and all but but still i'm still nervous all the same and Bill says, well, well, did you do that? Well, yeah, yes, of course I did that. But, but I don't know. I mean, I, I love my son. And that's all I know. And Bill says, well, Jack, there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to doubt. God said this. We can trust him. And Jack says, oh, yes, I put the blood up. But I don't know. Please don't preach at me. Now, that night, the angel of death comes over the camp. Bill's boy, Jack's boy, which one loses their son? Neither is the answer, right? Because the issue is not how healthy the faith is. The issue is how healthy the object of the faith is. I'm not suddenly in the kingdom because my faith is strong, then I'm out of it because I messed up a little bit. Then I'm back in because it's strong again, and then oh, I'm doubting a little bit, so I'm out of it. And that, it's the object. If I, for example, I'm, I got a, a, a low-grade infection, and I go to the doctor, and he gives me some amoxicillin. And so I'm going oh, so I don't know, I'll take this stuff, but I don't, I'll take the prescription, I'll do it, do it exactly the way they say, the right? But I don't know. Is it going to work? Yeah. Is it going to work less than if I was going, give me that amoxicillin? No, 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 it's going to work the same. Not, I have to have faith enough to take it, but it's, it's the object of the faith. You know, likewise, someone says, you know, this year is the Browns year, man. They're going to the Super Bowl. They're going to be, you know, they got a strong faith, right? But look at the object. I'm not going down that road any further. But you know what, you know, you can see what I'm saying. It's not, Our intensity of belief—it's our object of 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 who we believe in—and God says, "Before you get in, as you get into your new thing, as you start your your day, stop and recognize who I am." I mean, if you're in relationship with an anemic God, that's not going to help you at all, right? You're in relationship—you belong to Him, but He's a powerful God. He wants us to stop and remember. And then he goes on in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say? To a servant. Now, if you remember from Numbers and Deuteronomy, Joshua was kind of a reflective sort of guy, and the, the, all the army had been healed up from their circumcision stuff. The feast was, you know, packed up. That was all done. Next day started the battles, and Joshua knows that it's going to get ugly, and some rough things are going to happen, and some people are going to lose their lives. And so he's out by himself. I don't know what's going through his mind. I can only imagine. Boy, I wish Moses was here. mean, I don't. I'm not. I don't know if I'm gonna if I can do this. You know, how am I gonna make this work? And all of a sudden, he comes across this guy. This 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 guy with a drawn sword. Picture you're 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 walking. I don't know why you'd be doing this, but you're walking downtown Erie, two in the morning, Saturday morning, right by yourself. You come a guy. A guy approaches you stops a few feet in front of you, and then pulls out a switchblade. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a bit scary, right? Whoa, uh, that's going to be a little bit scary. This guy's got his sword drawn. And so Joshua asks the right question. Are you for me or against me? You know, should I be running right now? What, 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 what should I be doing? Am I, are, you, are you for me or, or, or against me? And the, the, the gentleman's answer is, is very interesting. He says, no. What? No, I didn't ask you yes or no question. I mean, what are you for me? Or are you get pick a side? What are you doing here? And the guy says neither. He says Joshua, you you don't you don't understand here. I am not for you. The reason why you're here in this land is 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 not for you. You're not going to get God's sword to fight your battles. No, 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 no. That's not what we're doing. Will you fight Yahweh's battles? You're asking me, am I for you? Is God's power for you? The answer is no. Sometimes we go through life, and we want God's sword, don't we? We've got the plan. Lord, I've got the plan. I've got it all figured out. You know, my plan, my brains, and your brawn. We're going to be a good team. We're going to pull this off. And God's no, 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 no. No, no, Uh, that's not the way it works. There's one commander, and you think it's you, Joshua. It's not you. Sorry. And so the real question is not, can you trust God to be behind you? Because you know what? You, You can't. If you mean by that, I want to trust God to help my agenda work, to make my plan come to fruition. It's a good plan, God. And it's it will even incorporate you here. So it's a good plan. So I'm going to trust you to make it work. God says, no, 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 that's not the way we do it. See, my plans are not your plans and my ways are not your ways. And I know what's going on in people's hearts that I've been working that you have no idea and I understand the big picture and where we've been and where we're going. And you just got to know what I've got figured out as a plan is different than what you have figured out. So you want my sword to make your plan work and you're going to be upset if it doesn't. It's It doesn't go that way. The real question is not, is God for you? The real question is, are you for God if God caught you in the hallway today so you just you and God you went out, left to go to the bathroom there's no one else out there it's just you and God he comes around the side and there you are and he says listen I know you're staring down your Jericho and I know you're nervous about it it's your health or it's your kids or it's your spouse or it's your schooling or it's your friends or whatever the issue is uh, and you know because you've got a Jericho and you're staring it down God says yeah, I, I know I know I know You want me to help you fix it according to your plan. We're not going to do it that way. But will you follow me? Will you trust me? See, i am taking care of Egypt. It's a whole lot bigger than little Jericho. I can take care of Jericho. But your heart has to be there. Will you let me be your God? Will you let me be your commander? There's a lot of Christians who are... Saying they're in relationship with God, that uh, they know who he is, but still they're going to be the commander. This is like the Adam and Eve thing. I mean, this goes way back. This is our whole problem with the whole world, right? Adam and Eve. The God comes to them and says, can I be the commander? Can I be your God? And they're looking at God, and they're looking at the tree. They're looking at God, at the tree. No, I think I'm going to be the commander. And I like your plan. I'll take it into consideration and all, but I'm going to be the one to decide what we do here. Sometimes we want God to take his sandals off, right? Uh, recognize that we're in charge. And God says, no, no, it's not going to work that way. So Joshua falls on his face. All right, God, what am I supposed to do? God says the same thing to Joshua that he said to Moses back in Exodus 3. Take off your sandals. You can't run very far with sandals. You'd be foolish to try to get into a war with, without something on your feet. You'd be slipping and falling. You'd, you're very, very vulnerable. That's the whole idea. You're saying, it's not about my speed, it's not about my networking, it's not about my alliances, it's not about my intelligence. It's about you, you're the commander. I'm I'm on my face before you. When you go into the land, he says, you want to know how to deal with your Jericho. God says, this is how we can deal with your Jericho. Worship me. It's just where it's got to start. I'm not going to even give you a plan on how to mess with you until you worship me. Whenever you get into a new phase of life, or even a new day, remembering who you're in relationship with, who you belong to, remembering who, who, who he is, and remembering who's in charge, huge. It will make all the difference. in what transpires... And it's just as an example, chapter 6, is their first deal, is Jericho. And Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march, and this is how he's going to take out Jericho now. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. You know, they call, they call that military terms, they call that ludicrous, right? I mean, that's a stupid plan. Are you serious? It's a dumb plan. And, but what, what do the people, what do they do? They go for it. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and seven priests, bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord, following them. Can you imagine what the guys up on the wall are thinking? By the way, Jericho... It's not like marching around Detroit or marching around area or even marching around McCain. Jericho is, we've, we've, we found Jericho. It it settled on 10 acres. You know, that's the size of our parking lot. If you go to our parking lot, walk the entire perimeter, put walls up all the way around it, that's Jericho for you. They have to be able to walk around it seven times in one day and then still have time for a battle. So it's not that that imposing in that regard. Probably a a fort, but packed filled with with warrior-type people. Can you imagine the guys on the wall, what they're thinking? These are the mighty Israelites, what are they doing? Playing boogie-woogie-woogie. I don't know what they're playing. I could sound like the tune. And they just do that the next day and the next day. Can you imagine if you're one of the warriors and you're walking around the wall just... This is so stupid. What a dumb... This is not going to work. Who came up with this idea? Please. I mean, you've got to be thinking, this is, this is not the way you win a war. This is a stupid thing. But what did they do? They did it. When the commander is the commander, he's going to have plans for us that, you know what, at times we're going to think, this is stupid. This makes no sense. And at that point... We're going to want to go to a plan B and say, thank you, commander. We're going, to, we're going to push you off to the side right now. We're going to change quarterbacks because this plan is just a foolish plan. You can guarantee that that's what's going to happen at times. His plan is going to change and you're going to look at it and think this is crazy. But if, in fact, you realize he's the commander, you know what? You're going. You're going. You're marching. You're mar- you're going to obey. You're going to obey. You're going to obey. And so there are... For the rest of the text up to verse 15, it's day by day they do the same sort of thing. Then on verse 15, it says, On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said, The people shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent but you keep yourselves from things devoted to destruction lest when you have uh, devoted them you take any of the devoted things you make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord they shall go into the treasury of the Lord you can't take the loot almost all the other battles they're able to take the loot that's how they were going to live but here no this was the first one so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. If they would have stopped there, it probably would have been okay. But it goes on. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. You read that, I've been reading the Bible a long time. Uh, And I can handle the genealogies. You know, a little bit boring, but I can get through the genealogies. All the dimensions for the tabernacle and the temple. I I don't understand it still. I still can't get the dimensions all correct, but okay, I can get through there. Uh, Some of the the doom to Moab and Edom, you're going to pick up a little bit in Isaiah, Jeremiah. I'm okay with that. But with these, and you come across this every once in a while here, you're going. I can't just glibly go by. Little children? Are you... you, Is this God saying... You know, uh, the new atheists, they call them, Richard Dawkins and uh, Hitchens and and Harris, uh, they have written a lot of stuff bashing Christianity. Their number one argument is this very thing. Uh, Dawkins says that God is nothing but a moral monster. He, he, he talks about uh, the Israelites going into the Promised Land and taking out Jericho. He equates that to to Hitler going into Poland, or Stalin, or, or Saddam wiping out the, the, the Kurds. He says, he says, "I can't believe that people of intelligence believe and worship such a being, a moral monster," he calls him. Uh, And then, worse yet, that they would, in a bossy sort of way, try to get other people to believe in such a being. And on and on and on. It's just like a primary argument against Christianity. And you say, wow, I mean, how do you deal with that? Because if you haven't heard it, if you're vocal about your faith, you will hear it. It's just a common thing. Well, it's hard. uh, But there's some things that can be said. It should be said about this because most often when folk bring that up, they're bringing it up in ignorance. They don't understand all that what Scripture really says. But but it is a hard issue. But when you read the whole thing, let me let me just encourage this: read it all in the context of the of the, of the whole Bible. Let me mention a couple things, though. First of all, number one, that this is not their their general warfare policy. Please know that this was not Israel's general warfare policy. This was reserved. For a very specific time and place, only seven nations throughout Canaan, there were seven people groups, seven forts, seven capitals uh, that were set on destroying Israel. And those seven groups were the only ones that this was for. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy will say that all the people, look at King David and Solomon, all the people outside the promised land, you get a peace treaty with them. Treat them well. All over the place, we find people who are alien. Treat them well because you were aliens in, in Egypt, and on and on, all the, all the time. But for these groups, this was a very neat. They did not have the right to decide to do this on their own. This does not um, give any kind of justification for the the uh, Crusades people deciding to go do this kind of thing on their own. This Israel did not do this on their own, more or less, anybody else. Uh, and number two. Uh, this was not an arbitrary thing. You know, you, you think, and these guys will say, well, these people were just hanging out and they were in, in, in minding their own business and just like having a big old picnic one day and their life was going on so well and they were just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time because they got in front of the path of some mean God. Um, archaeology lets us know that the, the wickedness, the evil in these, these towns were, were, was just hideous child abuse like you wouldn't believe and then it usually resulted in a child sacrifice uh, incredible abuse of women or uh, the elderly or handicapped forget it anybody who was not at the top it was, it was horrific Genesis fifteen sixteen. God is talking to there's only one Jew in the world at this point his name was Abraham and God is talking to him and says Abraham I'm going to make you a big nation you're going to go to a different country though because I promised you this land you're going to go to a different country but don't worry because I'll bring you back after about 400 years And uh, but I can't give you the land right now. In the fourth generation of your descendants, they'll come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God says, "I'm not going to clobber these people yet." God is not unfair to them in order just to favor the, the Israelites. That's not what's going on. Number three, God did offer grace to those who responded. We see Rahab. We find the Gibeonites. Those people in the area who responded to God, God gave grace to. But keep in mind, everybody was not, was not like a bunch of individuals. Well, maybe I'll choose, maybe I'll... You, you, you were who your people group was. That's who you believe, that's who you worship, that's the way that went. Number four, uh, this was not something that God came up with, that Israel came up with. Archaeology lets us know that this was common Warfare strategy in the Near East this was just common warfare strategy doesn't justify it But this was just going on way before God stepped in number five This is one of the harder things for Westerners to hold to Because we're so into my own individuality Well, they they did not understand such a thing you you're the town the family unit the town you were were one there was like one soul for, for the community and and we, we we all believed the same thing. We all worshiped the same thing. We all acted the same way. We, we all held to it. We weren't a bunch of individuals, each of us individually deciding what I'm into and what I'm not into. Nah, nah. We all held the same thing. We were one. This is why it was such a huge thing when God took Cain out of that family unit and separated him away. It was it was devastating because we're all one. The ancient Near Eastern people would not have any they wouldn't blink at this idea of taking out the, the children. And of course, because you weren't after individuals, you weren't after just their army, you wanted to, to take out the culture, the community. It was, it, was, it was that understanding. Everyone wore the same uniform. You won together or you died together. That's the way that worked. It was their worldview. Number six, uh, please know that this was not, uh, Israel's not immune to this. Israel would face the wrath of God worse than any of the Canaanites did. Uh, we'll get to that as we continue on in our reading, but they were going to face the, God said to them, you act like the Canaanites and I'm going to treat you this way as well. This whole thing lets us know of the heinousness of sin. It doesn't go away with a snap of a finger. It is, it is dealt, it has to be dealt with. This is why God told Adam and Eve, please don't take the fruit because the day you take it, judgment, sin, death enters in. Please don't go down this road. And, and number seven is a question. Does not God have a prerogative over his creation? Parents, as parents, do you not have the right to make some rules for your home? And then do you not have the right, parents, to if one of your kids gets out of line, to to discipline them? Or is it just the loving thing to do to have no rules and let anarchy reign in your home? Or is it the loving thing to do to have rules, and then if a kid decides he's not going to listen to them, to just not do anything, to just what are the other kids going to say? What's, what if he's hurting the other children just to not do anything? Is that the loving thing to do? It, don't you have the prerogative as a parent, if there is a God, and He did create all of this? Does He not have the prerogative to deal with it as He as He desires? Now this is still, it's still a hard thing. I, I, I got it. But here's something you can't do with this. You can't say, I like the God of the New Testament. He's the God of love. And Jesus said, Love your enemies. Got to go that. And, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament because he's mean. And, um. If you read through, you realize that that is, is just bogus. People who say that just have not read the Scripture. Number one attribute of God in Deuteronomy is love. He's a loving God. Jonah, remember Jonah? God sends a prophet to, to Nineveh, which is, which is a huge city, not, not a little dinky thing like Jericho, a huge city filled with nothing but pagans to preach repentance. And the whole city repents. And so God doesn't bring judgment on them. And Jonah's kind of upset because he thinks he should. And God looks at Jonah and says, there are 120,000 people in this city who don't morally understand the difference between the right and left hand. Should I not be concerned? In the Old Testament, if you read the whole picture, you know what? God loves. God's goal is for the world. And you you read the the New Testament, and Jesus did say, love your enemies. And Jesus spoke more on hell than he did on heaven, which is the ultimate uh, judgment. And if you read Revelation, Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of of judgment that goes goes on there. The most fascinating thing for me with this whole deal is that God God plays by his own rules. When he looked on his world that he created, he loved it, so much loved us, that he came. And, and when Jesus absorbed our sin, and when Jesus is hanging on the cross, you can't think, please don't think, that it's just because the Romans were mean and the Jews were mean, and then and, and they may have been mean, but, the, but scripture says that, that he was bearing the wrath of God. The wrath of God was on Jesus. Jesus didn't do anything. Well, that wrath was over the things, the sin that I have done and that you have done. Jesus was taking that. God was taking the punishment, the judgment for our our sin. So God's living by his own rules. He knows. Father knows what it means to lose his son unjustly. Jesus knows what it means to to bear the pain unjustly. And... To understand something we can never understand, that separation from, from his father. Um, the, the message of Joshua is as you're entering into, whether it's a new day, or a new element of your life, to remember who you belong to, right? to remember who he is, and to remember who's in charge. Even if there's stuff you don't understand, even if there's hard things, if you do... There's a prescription there for honoring him. Will you pray with me?